Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fanside Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. The Cubs continue to roll. They won a series against the Milwaukee Brewers after beating up on the Miami Marlins and are currently playing right now in Cincinnati, riding on another nice streak. Things are looking up so far, so we got a lot to talk about on this show. Adam, how you doing tonight? I'm, I'm doing well. I actually I expected to be dead by today because I umpired for the first time ever for a Little League baseball game yesterday, oh and I, I was fully expecting to be beaten to death by an angry parent. I mean, those happen every game. It but seems like I made it goes after and, and it was it was a really brutal game for my first one. Uh, uh, our home team lost twenty-seven to nothing. Ooh, twenty-seven to nothing. You want to hear the ridiculous part of this? This is this is seventh and eighth graders, so you know, young teenagers. They've got these kids, these seventh and eighth graders, playing on a major league sized field. So, like. 90 feet? Yes. Each base? Yes, the whole thing. It was somebody, another town runs this league, and it was somebody's bright idea to, instead of having them play a field that is just a little bit bigger, something in between Little League and uh, full high school fields, it was somebody's bright idea to just have them jump straight from, like, T-ball-sized field up into the, up to the, the big full-sized field. So were and they throwing off the mound from the distance? Yeah. Yeah, and and that's why it was so like they couldn't do it. Nobody could throw strike. I mean, I would I would guess that more than half of the pitches were in the dirt. Like, oh, I'm not. I mean, you're surprised. talking about kids that are like four feet tall, pitching off of May, <laughs> pitching the whole distance. It's a, it's absurd. That aspect of it really uh, made me mad. And then of course, you know. When when the score is like twenty something to nothing, I'm obviously you know I'm going to start widening the strike zone a little bit for the team that's getting smoked because nobody wants to be there for four hours watching seventh graders, you know, get pummeled like that. And so you were behind home plate then. Yeah, I was behind the plate. Well, at least your job was pretty easy then. If nobody could throw at sixty whatever feet. Yeah, well, that I mean that's the tough that's the tough thing though is because. Because none of them could throw strikes, the the inning just went on and on and on. Yeah. And you know, I I tried to keep in mind that this is you know these young kids. I'm not gonna be real tight with it, but but if it's over your head or three or four feet outside, like I just can't call that a strike. Oh, of course not. And that's what kept happening. And then the the few times that they did put it in the strike zone, it, they got crushed for hits, and so these innings just never ended. Fortunately, there's a it's a ten runs after three mercy rule, but even that took us almost two hours to get to that point. But yeah, it was it was something else. I did have one gaffe behind the plate I, where uh, it was a two and two count, and on ball three, I tried to get the kid to take his base. I, for some reason, I thought it was ball four. I t- ah, nice. I tried to give him the base, and even the kid was like, "Are you sure?" So I was like, "Oh no, wait, never mind. Get back in the box." <laughs> So that was my if one. I was a kid, I'd be like, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Did you get an earful from that one? Um, no, I mostly just got uh, earfuls from people in the stands on balls and strike calls. It, it was from the team, from the parents of the team that were up 20 something to nothing. Oh, come They're Up 20 something to nothing. And so I'm making the strike zone as wide as I can within reason. And they're still getting mad. Like, come on, you're you're up three touchdowns right now. You'd think they, they'd understand, but no, of course yeah. not. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Anyway, that's that's my story of how I didn't think I would be here today, but here we are. You better share some more stories down the road because I would love to hear them. I would I would love to hear the story of your first ejection and all that good stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not as bullish as some of the other umps in this league. They're pretty pretty loose with that if they get any lip from anybody they'll toss them right out of there <laughs> right on. one of them one of them last night was telling me he he ejected a grandma <laughs> wow time. yeah it's that the away team was getting real rowdy back there and he he just turned around to him and said the next thing i hear that i don't like you're out of here and somebody murmured something and he turned around and said who was that 
you're out of here. And it was like a 90 year old <laughs> lady that gets up and walks out. And says, to grandma. <laughs> That's but, a great story to tell your grandkids. Yeah. My, my next one's in a couple weeks. We'll see if things escalate. If I toss anybody or if somebody tries to pick a fight, you know, so you're not going to be doing that many games then are you? Well, it's, this is really early for a little league game like that. It's so I think that in a couple weeks that it, it'll start really get rolling and, you know, have one or two games a week, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not too bad. I mean, it's, 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 it always, it never ceases to amaze me how people are expecting major league umpires for a seventh grade game, like everybody here umping is a volunteer. <laughs> You're not getting right. experienced, trained people here. Everybody's just doing this because somebody asked them to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not like you're having a 20-year MLB veteran umpire behind there, even though yeah. a lot of the veteran umpires would probably be getting more flack just because of yeah. their reputation. But yeah, you know anyway. what? If- if they want to give me a, a major league ump's salary, then I'll take their concerns very seriously. I wonder but, what they make. Do you have any idea what MLB umpires make? I believe I believe that uh, they make around a hundred thousand, and I think like the top guys, the crew chief guys, make around three hundred thousand. So they get paid. They get paid. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good salary. Well, uh, as we go into the show, just a quick note: Albert Almora Jr. just hit a home run. And I'm fairly confident that that was the longest home run he's ever hit in his career and probably the hardest hit ball he's ever had in his career. Really? And this was smoked. Yeah. It, says, it only says 391. I mean, it Sh- didn't surely, go far, Surely, surely it was a rocket. hit one further than that. May, yeah, maybe the hardest he's ever you hit. You also got to remember, he doesn't have a lot of home runs on his resume. No. No. So, I mean, maybe I'm just mis... Because, you know, we don't see a lot of those, but... We've never seen Almora hit like a Titanic blast. And as soon as that left the bat, I mean, that was gone. I, the exit velocity yeah. on that must have been high. And I see uh, I see that you Darvish has six strikeouts in three innings. That's good. The run doesn't really bother me since he hasn't walked anybody. So Yeah, uh, he's, that. he's been getting a lot of uh, strike three calls, so not a lot of swinging. Yeah, 57, and Jim- 57 pitches in three innings, though, is... Eh. That's, had, I mean, that's not terrible, counts, but, but, but I really, uh, somebody said on Twitter and I, I didn't actually look this up to confirm if it was correct or not, but it sounded right to me that you Darvish as a cub is averaging like four and a third innings per start, which is, yeah, it's not ideal. I, the, the problem here is, I mean, when it comes down to it so far, the problem has been command because yeah. when you think about it. You don't see him getting smacked around a lot in terms of hits. Yeah, you yeah. see him give up some solo shots, but you look at all the trouble he gets in, those are walks and full mm-hmm. counts and just a pitch count being driven up. But you have starts where he goes five or six innings, he's only given up a few hits and maybe a run, but all those walks just kill his pitch count. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just a mental thing for him right now, it seems like. I mean, this this is a guy who was so dominant at certain points in his career and we really only see flashes of that guy occasionally he just can't put the whole thing together it's really frustrating because you see how good that stuff is well yeah that's the thing is like it feels like he's really close but yeah it, it but at the same time i don't know it's it's he just needs that one start he just needs one game where he where he goes seven or eight innings and strikes out 10 plus guys and I feel like that could just set things off for him but as things are right now I mean, he just can't even get to the fifth inning hardly yeah and we've seen a few starts where he does well but he still doesn't go past the sixth. I think probably the best Darvish has looked in a start was that one in Arizona where he went six only gave up like one or two hits uh struck out I don't know was it nine or ten guys something like that but mm-hmm. he had that second inning in the first inning, too, where he walked a bunch of guys, and it looked like he wasn't even going to go four or five, but because he settled in so nicely, he was able to squeeze out six. But you think about it, if he could have had half the pitches he and he had those first two innings, he could have gone seven or eight. Yeah, it's he's just laboring too much. I mean, 
there there's just no economic pitching with him right now. But I mean, I I'm holding out hope that that he gets things figured out. You know, I'm still still pretty much in the same boat of you know I'll believe it when I see it. It's we're in a weird place where there's like two sects of of Twitter uh, that one is just really purely frustrated with him and the other that defends him at every turn. And I, I just don't really understand that part of it because the, it's, you know, being in his corner and supporting him and wanting the best and being frustrated with him. Those two things aren't mutually exclusive. You know what I mean? It's like, that's right. not a, that's not a pick and choose thing. And I, I don't think that it's within, uh, I don't think it's, it's unreasonable to be frustrated with these results when he's the second highest paid pitcher in franchise history. Yeah, absolutely. You want to see better. I mean, obviously we talked about it earlier this season where we kind of gave him some leeway because he was mm-hmm. coming back from injury. The first like what four or five starts was yeah. probably reasonable, right? Right. But you're at the point now where you're saying, okay, we got to see it because he's well, proven yeah. the stuff is good, but we need to see it all come together. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You know, I I mean, I'm sympathetic to the fact that he's coming off a major injury. And you know, I really am, but if he's fully healthy, then at some point that excuse just can't fly anymore. At some point for what he's making and for what he means to this organization, if he's healthy, at some point that, that all that money's going to have to yield better results than four or five innings every start. Exactly, for sure. And the other thing with Darvish is I I feel like the frustration from a lot of the fans would be a lot worse if the rest of the rotation wasn't as lights out as it well, has yeah. been. Yeah, I mean, that's the, they're, they're picking up a lot of the slack there. And also, it helps that even when Darvish hasn't gone very deep into games, for the most part, the Cubs have been able to find ways to win those games. And the other thing is, when you think about it, the, the length of his starts is not ideal. Right? We can all agree. Right. What we haven't seen that we saw last year was some of those innings where he would just blow up for five, six runs. We really haven't seen that. We've seen it blow up with walks. We've seen it blow up with the pitch count, thus, you know, shortening the outing. But the one thing I can at least say that's been clearly better this year is he's been able to get out of jams. You don't want to get into a lot of those jams, but at least he's been able to wiggle out of some jams that he would just flat out implode last year. Yeah, I mean, and and like we said, you know, there it, there's some encouraging signs there. I mean, because there are moments where he really looks like he's close to putting it all together, but he just hasn't been able to do it quite yet. And may, who knows, maybe tonight is that night. He's going to have to be more efficient uh, tonight than he's been so far. I mean, he's, he's already at 62 pitches through three and a third. So that, that already doesn't necessarily bode well, but I mean, if he can get a couple quick innings together, then, you know, if he, if he has a night tonight where he goes seven innings and gives up just the one run and has, you know, oh, he's already at six strikeouts. So it's totally feasible that he could get to 10 plus. If he has a night like that, then maybe tonight's the night where that just gives him the boost of confidence that he needs. You would hope so, because you know, you watch you, Darvish, and when you see him get into a role, normally when you see a pitcher do that, you'd say, oh, yeah, you know, he's picked it up. He's cruising along. Uh, let's make this a good start. Unfortunately, with the way things have gone, a lot of you just worries. Things are going great. It feels like it's going to take one base runner or one fluky play or one walk where everything just goes to crap. Yeah. You, know, you, you constantly worry about that kind of thing. Yeah, and like you mentioned, though, it, the Cubs have been lucky that that people are hitting and the rest of the pitching staff seem to be doing really well on you Darvish days. I mean, come on. How many people before the season, how many people before this season started would have guessed that the Cubs' bullpen would be in the top 10 in ERA at this point. <laughs> Not me. No, no Not none me. of them. None of them. Everybody is pleasantly surprised 
with how well this bullpen is performing. In fact, I would I would go as far as to say some people are disappointed that they don't get to say "told you so." Well, yeah, I mean, you're gonna unfortunately you're gonna have that with every think, fandom, and it's I kind think, of annoying. But. I think I think our fans do the same thing with Albert Almora. People are so down on Albert Almora all the time that when he makes a great play in the field or he has a good night at bat that people just slink into their corners because they don't want to have to admit that they're too hard on the guy. I mean, I, I get criticizing Almora at times. The approach isn't always there, but you got to give him due credit. Oh, I think that's no, the thing. You got to give him due credit. Oh yeah. I mean, he, he's, he should be as susceptible to criticism as anybody else, but I, I just think that some people take it too far. I mean, some people are just so adamant that he should be spending this entire season in triple a that there's like, it's like, it's absolutely ridiculous that he's on the major league squad at all. And I just don't see that. Well, I mean, I, look, I think that at this point it's just become trendy to, to pile on the guy, which, which I've never really understood. I think he's, he's a solid enough ball player. Sure. He has his flaws, but I think that at this point, he is what he is. I think he's a more valuable player than Kyle Schwarber is. Kyle Schwarber is... You see stretches where he looks good and then stretches where he's completely lost. It's kind of frustrating. I thought the home runs would be coming a bit more. You know, I got to tell you, I'm a little disappointed in the lack of production there, or at least the consistent production he's... Like yeah. I said, he's, he's had some moments where he's looked like, you know, the guy mm-hmm. that he was hoped to be, at least in terms of on base. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I, I think this is just who Kyle Schwarber is. I think that we're, we're at a point in his career where, you know, we keep every single year we keep asking, is this the year? Is this the year? Is this the year Kyle Schwarber is going to break out? I don't think he's going to be anything more than what he appears to be and what he's always been. He was phenomenal in the World Series, but that's a really, really short stretch of games. Uh, I think Kyle Schwarber, I think his career, I think he's going to pretty much be like a 230, 240 hitter. I think he's going to hit 25 to 30 home runs, maybe more on occasion, and he'll get on base at a decent clip. And I think that's about what he is. I don't see him being a 280, 300-ish hitter who's going to hit 50 bombs. I just don't think that's in the cards for him. I think he's going to be a guy who's got a little bit of pop every once in a while, not going to get a ton of hits, going to walk occasionally, and that's about it. And he's and he's a perfectly uh, fine outfielder. And and that's that's really all I see. I don't see perennial all-star in his future. You know, I was I was pretty confident in him breaking out this year but I think as time goes on I I agree I I think he has value I I think he can be a solid guy in the outfield obviously his his fielding has been much better he'll take his walks he'll hit some home runs every now and then but yeah I I'm kind of with you on that as well I got it's uh it's too it's too bad it's too bad the the organization didn't see that, and I, I'm not blaming anyone because we all we all had really high hopes for Kyle Schwarber. But just think uh, back to two or three years ago, how valuable he would have been in a trade, the kind of haul they could have gotten for him. I mean, even at the time, I was totally on board with them keeping him and him being untouchable. But man, it, at this point, it almost kind of stings to think about how much they could have gotten for him. Because if I could, if I could have a do-over, I would, I would totally ship him somewhere else for a big package. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to see a full season of Kyle Schwarber playing like a superstar to believe it. At this point, I, I don't think we could just go off potential anymore. That's... I mean, you, you remember how badly the Yankees wanted him at one point? Oh yeah, I do, I do, and it's, it's frustrating because when he came back from AAA in 2017. He was creaming the ball. And then mm-hmm. you thought, okay, here we go. And then last year, I mean, look, his on base was good last year, but you didn't see the home runs you thought you were going to see. Again, no. valuable player, just not nearly as valuable as we thought he would be. Well, there, and you know, there's a difference. Yeah. And you know what? I, I will say this to his credit because a few years ago, when his trade value was so high, 
people did still have this this idea. It was a popular opinion that he was destined to be a DH. And I do think that he's done a good job of, of shaking that reputation. I because agree. He, he has he has established himself as uh, a, a good fielder, and and so uh-huh. the, the DH the the future DH thing I think is is out the window finally. Or What's at least unfortunate it is when he has one misplay every now and then, it gets magnified. Yeah, that's just the nature of rabid fans. Again, going back to the "I told you so" thing, you know, you establish, you establish, uh, you know, your mindset about somebody. You know, you 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 really, you have it in your mind that this is this is who they are, and then you just wait until they do something that that fits that mold, so that you can pounce yep. and say, "I told you so." Oh, I know, and. I love to be wrong if I'm wrong about someone. And you know, if if I have a negative feeling about a player and I'm wrong on my team, I'm happy to be wrong. I really yeah. am. Well, that's 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 part of what bugs me so much about people with Albert Almora, because like tonight he he's two for two tonight. He's got a home run and nobody will say anything when he does when he has great games like this. But but oh, my God, when he goes oh for four, people will be like, why the hell is he in the lineup? Blah, blah, blah. Joe's an idiot. Like you give you got to give credit where credit's due sometimes. And that's what I've been saying about Tyler Chatwood lately because he has come up huge. And I've, I, I well, tweeted the, yeah. that out the other day. I said he's come up huge. He the deserves same, credit. And same people angrily added me about yeah, it. Yeah, the same thing is happening with him now where instead of rooting for the guy, people are just waiting for him to screw up so they can yell about it. Oh, what do you mean? You gotta, He doesn't deserve any credit. You're paying him all this money. That's not the point at no. all. No, I I think Tyler Chatwood has done a, a great job in the role that he's been given so far this year. Absolutely. I mean, look at it. He pitched four hitless innings in that marathon win against the Brewers. He pitched multiple scoreless innings, setting up that win in Arizona. And then he had that great start against them at Wrigley Field. He hit that double. Yeah. And yet... You know, he got reamed when he gave up a couple of home runs in a blowout mm. against the Cardinals well, when all he was trying you, to do was throw strikes. And you know what? I I actually think that one of those home runs, I actually thought that the pitch that, that was homered, I actually thought that was a, a decent pitch. You know, it's like I've said this on the show before. It's not always the case that when a guy hits a home run, it's because the pitcher threw garbage. Sometimes a hitter just, it just does a really it. good job and just gets one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I think that's what happened on on that one. I I didn't think that was a, a poor pitch at all. And the guy struck out anyway, but the umpire didn't call it. So I mean, whatever. What he was? Would you rather have him just throwing it in there up by a ton or walking people? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I I think he's he's done a great job of of holding his head high and, and doing this thing because with the rotation that the Cubs have and the way they're performing with maybe the exception of you Darvish I mean it's you're not going to slide Tyler Chatwood in there you know even with Darvish struggling so much with how much he's getting paid and just his his history and his pedigree you're not going to replace you Darvish with Tyler Chatwood so it's it's just not in the cards for him to be in that rotation unless somebody gets hurt and there's a lot of value in having a reliever who can give you multiple innings. I mean, that's that's a really, really valuable thing to have. Yeah, I mean, you got him, you got Mike Montgomery, who are both pitching right now. Mike Montgomery's back and healthy. He came in relief the other, the last Darvis start, actually, at Wrigley Field against the Marlins. I mean, that was pretty big. You got to consider how much this bullpen has worked with all these extra inning games and where they've needed walk-offs, especially the one against the Brewers on Saturday. Bullpens worked hard, and they've kept him in every game to set him up a win. The only game they lost was probably because Pedro Strope was hurt. You saw that blown save from Mm -hmm. Strope. He didn't throw any strikes. He had no movement. Probably was suffering from the injury at the time. Yeah, that's the way she goes. And, you know, it's even against those kind of teams, when you're winning so much like the Cubs have, you're going to have those types of losses. You know, eventually there's going to be a type of bad loss yeah, like that. And they're inevitable. It was, yeah. And it was, it was probably a bit more frustrating because it was just coming off a sweep of the Cardinals. And you're thinking, Oh God, if this is game one against the Marlins, we're going to struggle the rest of the way, which 
they, they had to grind their way to beat the Marlins a little bit at home, yeah, but even when you go in slumps and you're winning like the Cubs have been, that's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's people got to be reasonable. I mean, I mean, come on, they they started one and six, and now here they are, eleven games over five hundred and in first place. Like, what? What? You can't flame every single time they have a loss like that. It's it's gonna happen. It's just the nature of baseball. Anyone can win on any given day, no matter the talent spread. Yeah, for sure. And you know, they they rebounded right away, and it, and it, that's it was fine. That's that's I think part of what makes baseball one of the greatest professional sport in my mind because that just isn't the case in the NFL or the NBA I don't think. I mean, come on, the Patriots aren't going to lose to the Browns, right? And the Magic, the Magic aren't going to win a series against the Warriors, that kind of thing. You know, in baseball I definitely agree with the NBA. I definitely agree there. You know, in, in baseball in baseball, the Reds could sweep the Yankees or the Red Sox, you know? Well, remember when the Orioles took, like, the first two against the Yankees this year? Yeah. I mean, that's – I think baseball has more parity than any other professional sport. I think a lot of people would agree with you. I really do. So, this topic is something that I've wanted to talk about. We've mentioned it on the show before, but I think – we would go in depth this is kind of the the main topic of our show tonight even though we're almost a half hour in but that's okay it's john lester on the national broadcast this past weekend if you didn't mute the tv which you know i'm sure a lot of you have they brought up john lester because he was pitching that night and a possible road to cooperstown is he hall of fame worthy and that's kind of what i just wanted to talk about tonight what our thoughts are on that? What do we think needs to happen for that to happen? I mean, is Sybil, is, is John Lester on a Hall of Fame path? Where is he at right now? I think there's a lot of angles you could look at. Yeah, that's I wish this was an easy call, and I'm sure it's for not. some I'm I'm sure for some people it is, but for me I'm I'm really he's so close. I just I don't know. 346 ERA is is maybe a little on the high side for Hall of Fame. But, you know, you got 14 years, two World Series championships with three. The, with three worlds. Yeah, so I'm sorry. Uh three World Series championships with the possibility, you know, he's the way he's pitching right now and the way the team is playing as a whole. I mean, it's 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 totally within reason that he could get another one, maybe two. Um I don't know. I I think that if he could have at least one more season where he's a Cy Young finalist, that could help his resume out a ton. Um, you know, going multiple years in the American League and the National League, both. I think I think that should actually be a factor in this in the decision for Hall of Fame because I I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that isn't as meaningful as as. As I think it is, but I, I think there's there's something to be said for pitching in both leagues and pitching well in both leagues, seeing all these teams and having to adapt to the different styles, you know, what with having DH and no DH. But yeah, I mean, 14, 14 seasons as a starting pitcher is hard to do. And that's that's one of the a starting pitcher. That's one of the, the positions where the wheels seem to fall off real fast. Yeah, I mean... There's a number of stats you could look at and kind of break it down for. It's kind of the it's kind of the golden standard for him. What he's done as a cub overall, that's shows how good he's been. You, you get what I'm saying? I don't because you most of that you you cut out and I couldn't hear. 
Oh, sorry, stupid technology. Uh, what I was saying was he's got to have a few more seasons down the road pitching like he has as a Cub because the way he has pitched as a Cub, you know, has been really, really good. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't know that it's realistic to expect 2016-level dominance from him again. I mean, right now he looks terrific but it's also a pretty small sample size it's not even quite 40 innings yet so it's mm-hmm. where it's a, it's a little too soon to say oh my god he's he's a Cy Young front runner I'm I think we should hold our horses on that just a little bit and I and I really don't see anybody jumping the gun on that either but uh I mean how many times have we said on this show that one of the reasons why John Lester succeeds into his mid thirties is because he pitches smartly. And it's the, it's the guys, it's the flamethrower guys who rely on velocity and overpowering hitters that don't have the really long careers unless they're taking steroids, but we don't really see much of that anymore either. But John Lester is the, the kind of pitcher who has learned to adapt as he's lost a little velocity and maybe a little bit of movement too. And that's, that's what's kept him in the game for so long. And if he can continue to do that for another two or three years, then, then yeah, I think maybe he's got a good case. Looking at his stats now, again, overall, you look at the strikeouts, 2,229. And a lot of people want to talk about wins, 180 wins. Look, I mean, let's, let's get one thing straight. 300-plus wins, those days are over. It's gone. Probably. Roll that out. Yeah, probably. Wins just aren't very important to to the baseball writers anymore either. I mean, I, I still think it's a cool stat. I, I like seeing pitchers on my team piling up wins, and I, I think the, the race to try to get 20 wins is cool. I still like that aspect of the game. But you understand uh, and, how it's and the, very skewed. And the pitchers still value it. I mean, it, as much as the fans and uh, the media seem to uh, downplay the importance of wins, the, it's it's always going to be important to the pitcher. But uh, I don't know. I, I still think it's cool. I don't think it should necessarily be used as a tool to measure how good a pitcher is, but I still think it's a cool stat. I mean, fair enough. It's... It's one of those things where I don't think wins are relevant at all in terms of measuring a pitcher's talent, but you can't just get rid of the stat. I don't know. I wouldn't go as far as to say that it has no relevance at all, but it's definitely... Yeah, I would would argue it's absolutely irrelevant. No. You can have a five ERA and they hit for you and you could have four wins. It's not not totally one-sided. I mean, the pitcher... I mean, you... Pitcher can pitcher can be you know at fault for that too. Even on days where the lineup isn't doing its job necessarily, I mean it, it's 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 give and take. I mean it's give and take, and that's why it's not a good way to measure it. Well, that's I mean that's what what I just said is that it's 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 not necessarily what I would use to to measure the value of a pitcher, but I don't think that it's completely and totally meaningless either. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't know anyone's win or loss record. It doesn't mean anything to me. Look at relievers who get wins. They could blow a save, blow the game, but then the team comes back and they get the win. Well, well, again, it may not mean anything to you or me, but I'm, I would guarantee you it means a whole hell of a lot to most of the starters in the league. I mean, to the starters, sure, it probably means something to I mean, it's like them. a point of pride for them, which I, I can understand. I mean, I can understand that too, but I'm just saying, I personally I mean, if you're, do not if, care about If you're John Lester... Why wouldn't you want to say, oh, yeah, I went 19 and 5 in 2016? I mean, that's cool. I mean, sure, it's cool. I'm just saying, I don't pay attention to that stuff. I mean, it can give you a, a, a halfway decent idea of dominance, too. I guess. I mean, you know, we've seen pitchers get lots of wins, but their stats are pretty mediocre in the past. I mean, they were going longer back then. And that's the other thing. You have bullpens pitching more and more innings and less by the starters so you're not going to see as many decisions period i guess so that's i mean that's my my whole point is 
you're not going to look at wins and losses with John Lester and determine that's where, if he's going to be in the Hall of Fame or not. Well, I don't know. I mean, so, some of the baseball writers are, are still pretty old school. I mean, eventually we'll get to a point where people our age are the guys who are voting. But right now you still you still got some old farts in there who are a little more old school than what the popular opinion is like on social media. I mean, absolutely. But what's what's the standard then? If you're not going to have any more 300 plus winners, then what's the standard? Well, the game. Well, the game's evolved past that point a little bit. I mean, the the bar the bar isn't where it used to be in that regard, and I'm sure they're aware of that. So, would you if you were if you were voting? Here, here's some here's something that somebody brought up on Twitter today. Okay, so so if his record his record is terrific, you know if 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 record if the pitcher's record is still important to the baseball writers who vote in this thing, then I think mm-hmm. John Lester's would be good enough. I think it's, I think there are other stats that kind of make him a fringe guy. I don't think his record is one of those stats. I, I can agree with that. I think he's on pace for uh, a record that some of those old school guys would like. I can agree with that. I can agree with that. I mean, he- I, I've, I've always said too, that longevity in itself shouldn't be enough to warrant Hall of Fame consideration, but I mean, come on! If John Lester stays in the league for a few more years and he gets to three thousand innings pitched, that's impressive. It is, it is, and he's been consistently good at staying on the field. We've mentioned on this show earlier ten plus years at thirty-one plus starts. That's impressive. That is, that's really impressive. Multiple seasons uh, with more than two hundred innings pitched. Here's something that somebody brought up on Twitter. It's an interesting point. And this is, again, going into the minds of some of the voters because, you know, to your point, this isn't some statistical algorithm that decides who's in the Hall of Fame or not. It's not based on a metric. It's based on the voters, and they value certain things more than others. And and some things that I think are valued are like individual awards. I would say at least some of them Mm -hmm. value them. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, and uh, a good listener of ours, David, good friend of mine, uh, he brought up 2016, and he said if he would have won Cy Young that year, maybe he'd have a little bit more of a leg up because some of those guys like those awards. They like those All Star games. They like those Cy Young awards. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting point. I can't remember who who won NL Cy Young that year. It was Scherzer, and was he like head over? You know, was he a lock to get? I can't even remember if it was there a case to be made for Lester or was it obvious that Scherzer should have won it that year? So the top three were Hendricks, Lester, Scherzer. That's terrible that I can't remember that. You could have made a case, but Scherzer was, I'd say, the most dominant. You know, he had all the strikeouts and whatnot, but it's not like he was second in Cy Young voting by a whole lot. It's not like Scherzer had like a 1.9 ERA and he had a 2.4. I mean, it it was, you can make arguments for those guys, even though Scherzer was probably the most deserving. It was close. Yeah. I mean, so again, I, I don't necessarily think it should be based on how many awards you won, but I think you, you, you also have to consider how many times you're in the running to win those awards. Mm hmm. Yeah, and, I yeah. And Lester multiple times has been has been in Cy Young consideration. You can kind of make a checklist of things that typical Hall of Fame pitchers do. Not all of them, but a number of them. Uh, you know, Cy Young may not be one, but All-Star appearances, at least going back to when the All-Star game was a thing, you could check that off. He's yeah. thrown a no-hitter. You could check that mm-hmm. off. He's pitched well in the postseason. He's if if there's something that could give him a leg up, it's his postseason career. He's been one of the best postseason pitchers ever. So you could check that off. Yeah, and he you was, could check off a World Series. Yeah, he was he was an LCS MVP in 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you want to check that off as one of those, I mean, go for it. And you know what? Maybe it maybe it's not anymore. But a, being a 20 game winner used to be a big deal. I it don't did. Know if, I don't know if the writers still value that or not, but. Uh, definitely not as much as they used to, but uh, 
being being a wins leader is there's still something to be said for that, I guess. I mean, otherwise the pitchers would shrug that off and they wouldn't care either. But they you still can check that off, sure. Yeah. So there's a lot of you know those kind of things that are checked off. It, it gets into some of the stats and. Sometimes I think a lot of people, what they'll do is, and you know, this is kind of justified is, well, if you're going to put someone in the hall of fame, you better do some comparisons to people who are in the hall of fame. So you at least have some standard and you can do comparisons and you can see arguments for and against. Well, I mean, that's my, that's my gripe with the hall of fame right now is that I think they're, I think they've lowered the bar a little bit. And there, there's some people in the hall of fame who I don't necessarily think deserved it and so that that makes these these decisions way tougher because then you can bring those other fringe guys out and say well well, if he's in then this guy should be in and i i I don't know i just think that maybe the the level of excellence required to be in the hall of fame has gone down a little bit recently i think part of that is is because they don't want to vote the steroid guys in so yeah yeah. I, I think that does play a role in it. I don't know about yeah. you, but yeah, I I suppose that's that's probably true. Because let's face it, if if what? those steroid guys, if they they voted for them, they would have been in first ballot. Yeah, I mean, I think that personally, I don't think that you should have to induct a certain number of people every year, because then inevitably you are going to get some people who you know are you know, just kind of on the cusp, but, but get in anyway. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could argue that it's, you know, obviously everyone every year waits for a hall of fame vote, but I can see your point there. Because I mean, if you're only putting in generational talents, then you I mean, you're not going to get a generational guy every year. The other thing is too, is that, you know, you go through eras of baseball and baseball evolves. It's constantly evolving the way they play it, mm-hmm. the way we analyze it, the way it presents itself. So, you know, sometimes comparing a pitcher now or a hitter now to decades ago, you know, it's... Yeah, that's a, valid, that's a valid point. Yeah, I agree. So if we did some comparisons, a lot of people are saying this. If Jack Morris is in the Hall of Fame, then shouldn't John Lester be? Well, yeah, that's... See, that's the thing, is if, if you're going to use ERA as your gold standard for, for uh, a pitcher's Hall of Fame case, then... Yeah, Jack Jack Morris kind of causes some confusion because he's got a career three ninety ERA, and mm-hmm. no no disrespect to Jack Morris, he had some incredible seasons in the big leagues, but he also had some not so good ones. And I'd say I, overall, he was a very good pitcher who pitched for a long time. But I don't know about Cooperstown. Yeah, if you're going I, I think, off that, yeah, I think it's it's probably two hundred and fifty four wins and nearly 4,000 innings that, that, that got him the, the nod in almost 20 years in the league. If it was up to me, Jack Morris probably would not be in the Hall of Fame. Now, another interesting thing that people look at, and I know you don't value this as much, and I value this to a degree. I think it's more of a just a, a basic measure of value, but uh, you look at John Lester's F war is 444 and you look at guys like Jack Morris, that's a 55.8 career F4 over 18 years. And Don Drysdale, another Hall of Fame lefty who was very deserving of the Hall of Fame, is a 59.3. So if he has a few more years uh, of kind of what he's doing now, he could probably make it to close or 250. Yeah, it's... See, I, I think I think F4, war, I think they're, they're decent tools uh, to measure players. I don't think it, they're as important as a lot of people seem to think. And people are sort of gravitating towards war as the stat to measure a player. But the thing is, is that war war changes from website to website. The the way uh, these these yeah. people measure war it varies, and and so that's why I. I that's why I like the cut and dry stats like ERA and batting average because there there is no that doesn't vary you know your ERA is your ERA and so I don't know some of the advanced stats I think we still have a little ways to go before we can uh, get on board with with using those as as the stat to see how players stack up. 
And that's kind of how we're evolving. We're trying to find more efficient ways to use those. Um, I, I do like fielding independent pitching. I, I like that a lot. I think it's a good way to measure peripherals because ERA doesn't always tell the story. It's, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, but see, but fielding independent pitching is a stat that only baseball nerds like. You know what I mean? And And most baseball fans, I think, are casual baseball fans. I mean, and when you're thinking about players on your team, nobody's wondering, oh, I wonder what John Lester's FIP is. You know, they want to know what his ERA is. That's what that's the kind of thing that they want to know. That's what I think that's the kind of thing that most fans care about. And, you know, you know what I mean? The the average baseball fan is not saying, I wonder what what John Lester's F war is or his FIP is. That's it takes you know, it takes a, a really vested interest in the sport or a writer blogger to to have a deep-rooted interest in stats like that yeah it's probably not as much of a casual thing but i think what i love using fip for is just analyzing peripherals because last year we saw john lester struggle with fip despite the era and you know we saw we saw a lot of hard contact for outs we saw him get out of a lot of jams where he didn't dominate as much it's looking different this year he's striking out guys a lot more. He's getting more soft contact. The FIP is way down. Hopefully it stays that way. But I mean, even so a 360 FIP over his career, that's pretty good. And that is pretty good. What? I think the most impressive thing about his career is that he's gotten better with age. I mean, sure. He, he pitched, he pitched for nine years in Boston, but his, his overall stats are actually better with the Cubs than they were with the Red Sox. Small again, smaller sample size, obviously, but but it's impressive that that he hasn't gone downhill after 30. Yeah, he's kind of gotten stronger with age. You know, in Boston, unfortunately when he started his career, he was battling cancer, so it was obviously, uh, you know, mm-hmm. tough for him, but uh he was hitting his prime towards the end of his Boston career. I think when they won that World Series in 2013, that's when he was hitting his prime because if you remember he was pretty good in like 2009, 2012, and then 2011, 2000 or 2012. He struggled, I should say. But um, after that, 13, 14, his last years with Boston, that's when he hit his prime. That's mm-hmm. when he hit free agency. And then he came to the Cubs and continued that. So we were pretty lucky to get John Lester in like the middle of his prime. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was real good with that short stretch with Oakland, too. He was. He was. And, you know, you can't help but wonder if John Lester was a free agent maybe a few years earlier, would he have gotten the money that he got here? Probably not. Probably not, no. So, you know, the timing was perfect. The timing was absolutely perfect. And John Lester always had the talent. He always did. When he came back with Boston, you know, when he was coming up in the majors, you know, getting healthy again, you saw how good this kid could be. But Man, he really hit his stride this past few years in Boston before he became a free agent. Yeah, so it's I think as it stands right now, he's got a compelling case to make. I think if if he can put two or three more years together of good solid starts and he stays healthy, then maybe we get closer to saying, yeah, John Lester's a Hall of Famer. Right now, I think it's I don't need, I don't know if I'd call it a coin flip. I think he's close. Yeah. But but if he retired right now, I think it it'd be a really close call and I don't I wouldn't be upset with either decision, I don't think. Yeah, if he retired right now, I think he would be at the top among pitchers of the Hall of Very Good. Yeah. Yeah, I I could agree with that. And I mean, it's it's one of those things where Again, you could go even back and forth on that. It's like, look at all he's done. He beat cancer as a young man. He came back and, you know, he inspired so many people with that story and became such a great ball player. But if he can just put a few more together, a few more seasons together, then I think more and more people will recognize him as, you know, a, a Hall of Fame worthy right. guy based on stats. So, yeah, you know, and, it's... And- just the impact that he's had on this team without John Lester, the Cubs don't have a world series championship in 2016. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, here is another interesting thing though, looking at all these stats with John Lester, 
if you're going to start talking Hall of Fame for John Lester, Cole Hamels, he's arguably even better. Have you looked at Cole Hamels' stats and compared him to John Lester's? Yeah, well, I haven't compared the two, but I I mean, I, I'm aware. I, I, I don't know. I they're both close. They're both close. Cole Hamels is another guy that if he if he keeps going a little longer, will eclipse three thousand innings. There's a lot of similarities between Cole Hamels and John Lester. They've both pitched pretty much the same number of years. Cole Hamels has uh, a bit more on the innings. He's got two thousand six hundred and two third two and two thirds and you know mm-hmm. uh, John Lester has uh 2,404 and two thirds but you know pretty close Cole Hamels's career ERA is 3.39 and he's a career F4 of 50.1 already and he's got 2,464 strikeouts one 1.169 whip too that's that's impressive yeah. Uh, yeah Cole Hamels probably has a little better case than John Lester at this point and the other thing is too Cole Hamels has a pretty good postseason reputation himself. Yeah, exactly. They like both, you, you, you yeah. can't, you can't, you, yeah, you can't overstate his importance to those Phillies teams, especially the one that won in two thousand eight. I think he was the World Series MVP that that's, year. That's that. That's one of the most fun teams I think ever in baseball. That two thousand eight Phillies team. I, I've always said that should go down as one of the best baseball teams ever. They God, they were stacked and they were so fun to watch when they had Henry Rollins and Henry Rollins and they had God, Jimmy Rollins. Henry Rollins is the singer for Black Flag. <laughs> <laughs> when they had, it was Jimmy when Rollins and the Flying Hawaiian. That was fun. Yeah, Jimmy Rollins, the Flying Hawaiian, Chase Utley, Cole Hamels, all in their prime. Oh my Howard god. Howard in his prime when he Howard, was hitting yeah. bombs every mm-hmm. other day. Yep. Wouldn't that have been something if the Cubs didn't completely collapse in the NLDS? If that was a Cubs Phillies NLCS that year? Oh man, there's how many points throughout history could could you have said that? How wouldn't it have been nice if the Cubs didn't completely collapse? <laughs> a lot, yeah. a lot. But think about it. Think about how good that Cubs team was in the regular season against that Philly team. Mm-hmm. You'd have matchups of Carlos Zambrano, Cole Hamels. Uh, that that was before Halliday joined the team. I think uh, who else was in that rotation in 2008? Because when I think of Phillies rotations, I think of like 2010, 2011 when they had Halliday, Hamels, Roy Oswalt, uh, Cliff Lee. But uh, either way, that would have been a great matchup in 2008. Yeah, man. Who who were the other pitchers? Uh, was uh, they have Jamie Moyer that year? I think they may have. That was the year when Brad Lidge had a really good year as closer. Yeah, that, that I don't know if you remember that. Vaguely. I think that was Brad Lidge's like best year. I'm gonna look that yeah, up now that, because that was a fun team. And yeah, and they beat they beat a race team, Joe Mann's race team, that was pretty dang good itself. Mm-hmm. And they beat him pretty well in five games. Okay, so here we go. 2008 Philadelphia Phillies rotation, according to baseball reference. Cole Hamels was the ace, 24 years old, 45-year-old Jamie Moyer, Brett Myers, Kyle Kendrick, Adam Eaton, not the Adam Eaton that used to play on the Sox on the Nationals, different Adam Eaton, and Joe Blanton was like their sixth. Joe Blanton. Remember him? Yeah. Wasn't he the one that gave up the grand slam to Montero. I think so. I think you're right about. Yeah. Yeah. That was him. Hung a nice flat slider right down the middle for him, man. He was having a good year that year too. He was. Oh, you also, we also forgot to mention, we also forgot to uh, mention Jason worth was on that team. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good team. And, uh, I was, is Jason worth still playing or is he done? I don't think he's playing anywhere right now. Is he just a free agent? He hasn't officially retired? I don't know, because I just remember when he played in the NLDS against the Cubs on the Nationals. That's the last time I remember seeing him. Yeah. Man, he played a long time. He's he got to be, be in his 40s by now, wouldn't he? 
I'd have to look. Uh, Let's see. I'm looking it up as we speak. While you do I, that. I also have a computer. While you he, do that. He's 39. 39. So he's, he's thirty. Yeah, he's 39 years old, and he, yeah, he did actually retire. He, he retired last June. Okay. All right. Uh, I was just going to mention Brad Lidge. He had 41 saves that year. Ooh. Yeah. Ryan Madsen was on that team as well. So was J.A. Happ. J.A. Happ. Yeah, that's another guy who's been around a while. Yeah. Jeff Jenkins was on that team. Matt Stairs. Remember Matt Stairs? He was on that team. He hit that home run in the NLCS. Man, this is this episode's just a blast from the past. It really was. Well, since we're doing blasts from the past, uh, why don't we end the show with our uh, random former cub? Yeah, let's. I, I believe it is your turn this week. It is my turn. Yeah. Who shall it be? I think we got to go with a fan favorite. We got to go with Jody Davis. A little before our time, but a fan favorite. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to let you take the wheel on this one, man. I just don't have much to say about Jody Davis. Well, Jody Davis was a two-time All-Star. He was part of that 1984 team, a career 245 hitter, but he was very productive with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Hit a career-high 24 home runs in 1983. Didn't walk much. No, he did not. Uh, also, the All-Star in 1986. Uh, yeah, did not walk much, but in that year, he hit, let's see, 21 homers that year. Uh, I think when people think of Jody Davis, they probably think of the best Cubs catcher between, what, Beckard and, I mean, who is the next great Cubs catcher after that? They've had so many. Giovanni Soto. Yeah, right. Rookie (laughs) Giovanni Soto. Yeah. But, you know, he was was good for a number of years. Michael Barrett. Michael Barrett. (laughs) The best punch in baseball history. You know, but, Michael Barrett was a pretty really. good player, too. Definitely not, though. No. There's, there's way better fights than that one. Absolutely. That one's just famous because it was between the Cubs and the Sox. Yeah, and just because A.J. Pierzynski. I Do you like A.J. Pierzynski? No. I mean, not just... I, I He's doing, like, the, the analyst commentator shtick now, and I, I just find him to be really, really boring. You know, I, all, I don't even bother listening to him. All I, his I segments. Can't, I can't stand him. All his set. Yeah. Even personal bias aside from his playing days, I just find his segments to be really boring. Like put me to sleep. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't like it, but I, I mean, I also have people seem to really love a rod up in the booth and I can't stand the guy. So he was so much better as a post game analyst. So much better as a post game analyst. A rod. Yeah. Yeah, I could just do without A-Rod altogether. I don't mind him kind of he trying just... to redeem his character, but in the booth it has, it's been the. Yeah, but it's, I, I just don't think he's all that good at it. And they, it, well, I mean, and this, 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 this just has something to do with Sunday Night Baseball in, in general, that they just go off on these tangents and oh, all the interviews. It yeah. Yeah. It's it's borderline unwatchable. It's really annoying sometimes how they just will spend what seems like an hour on anything but the baseball game that's happening and all these pre-recorded interviews and everything. Yeah. And if they want to do that for online content, fine, but not during the game. I I I think A Rod is actually in some ways comparable to John Gruden in how he handles things in the booth, where you know some obscure you know, relatively unknown player, you know, somebody we're not really all that familiar with will do something significant in the game. And A-Rod will just go off and just be like, this kid is really something special. You know, he puts in the work and he, it's like, come on, you're making all this crap up, dude. You, it, John Gruden does the same thing and it just, it annoys me so much. So because then maybe so, one day because A-Rod so will trade Cleo obvious. Max to the Bears again. Because it's just so painfully <laughs> obvious that they're just making crap up as they go along. I hate it. Like, just just give me the baseball game. Just give me the baseball game and the bare bones. I like Matt Vaskersian up there, and I think he has. I think he does a good job of putting up with that crap. Yeah, you know, I, I, I like, I like Vaskersian. 
I think I still just miss the nostalgic feel of John Miller because that's who I grew up with. Yeah, you remember those days? Even though I Joe Morgan was kind of a yeah, kind I of like a bore, a, but I, I I suppose I I think well he does a good job, but I I also like Vest version because it it makes me feel like I'm playing MLB the Show again, which uh-huh. is a game that I used to play a ton when I was younger. And some of those great postseason moments from 2016 were called by him, so you just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you, you kind of have good memories of that there. You know uh, what? This is a here's another unpopular opinion. I like Joe Buck in the booth. I actually think he's pretty good. I think Joe Buck has gotten better with baseball. I think he's gotten a lot better, and I, I love his call the final out. I actually, I actually enjoyed his yeah his time in the booth during that postseason. I thought it was pretty good. I, I take Joe Buck over a Rod every single day of the week. Yeah, I I can respect that opinion, and I've gained a lot of respect for Joe Buck because of how much because he used to be brutal as a baseball announcer, as monotone as it gets. But he's, he's really worked on that. Not his dad, not his dad, but he'll never be his dad. No, the other I'm gonna I'm gonna gripe about a Rod again is that they, when he's not saying complete made up stuff that he is on the fly. He'll say things that are just so it's like it's it's so obvious to the viewer that it's almost insulting. The things you know what I mean? Kind of like Tim McCarver. Yeah, I suppose. And, you know, you have uh, Jessica Mendoza trying to, like, have a conversation and then he goes off on these tangents. And sometimes I feel like she's just like, "Uh, what do I say now? Three people in a booth, I think, for a game is just too much. Yeah, I mean, Jessica Mendoza does the same thing sometimes, too, where she'll analyze something and say something that's just really obvious. And I still like her better try to make it though. try to make it come off as, you know, professional analysis. I mean, they all say things that it's just like the doy. That's what you get with national broadcasts, though. Yeah, but... I suppose. I suppose. Sunday night baseball, ESPN just butchers the way they broadcast baseball. Yeah, I know it's. Yeah, but I mean, we we're gonna have to live through it again this Sunday against the Nationals. But yeah, three in a row, three Sundays in a row. Yeah, pretty sure that's this is three ESPN Sunday nights in a row. Yeah, it is. It is because St. Louis, Milwaukee, and now the Nationals. Yeah, it is. And, you know, like I said, when you get those national broadcasts, there's going to be a lot of state of the obvious. I mean, Joe Morgan was like that in the I days suppose. and then Tim McCarver. And now, but the thing with A-Rod is some of the stuff he says isn't true. Like, oh, he broke both curses. John Lester, referring to John Lester, he wasn't on the 014 that broke the curse. Yeah. Just It's just that A-Rod never says anything insightful. I mean, he he never really actually has anything interesting to say. He's either making stuff up, saying cliche lines, or stating the obvious. There's never really anything that he says that makes me go, oh, wow, that's that's interesting. And I'll say it again. I thought he was much better as a post-game analyst a few years ago because he was actually pretty good at that, I thought. But you know what? I'll say this. Broadcasting live games is very hard to do. It yeah, is well, very, I mean, that's, very hard to that's do. why not very many people do it. Right. You know, just because it's hard to do doesn't mean you should keep lowering the bar. No, you shouldn't lower the bar, but I'm just saying that sometimes when you're a broadcaster, post game, if your strength is post game, then stay at post game. If your strength is announcing, stay at you, you know what I mean? He was yeah. good at post game. I think he should just go back to post game, is what I'm trying to say. I think he should just be J Lo's personal assistant. Huh. Well,. It's not like he needs the money. He's got plenty of it either way. Yeah, man, that's all, a all those years a, of playing. That's a financial power couple. Holy cow. Yeah, that's that's a lot of money right there. It really is. And just to go back on Joe Buck real quick, it's funny because I never really envisioned Joe Buck calling like a big Chicago sports moment. But when he called the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series, that call like is ingrained in my head forever. When I think yeah. of the final out, I think of that call. And it was a good one. Yeah, I think even, you know, obviously you and I are a little bit biased because it's the Cubs. But I thought it was a good call, too. 
It was. Because yeah. some of his early calls to World Series, it was literally just, and the Yankees win again. Like, there was no enthusiasm with the Cubs. Oh, it I'd was. Be, I'd be unenthusiastic about the Yankees winning again, too. Well, but still, it's your <laughs> I'm job. Sure Yankees, I'm sure Yankees yeah, fans so. didn't appreciate that, but. No. You know, me not being a Yankees fan, I think that's great. As long as I don't have to listen to Buck call football, because I, I still can't stand his football commentary. Yeah, yeah, that's it, I suppose. Yeah, it, yeah, but... Al anyway. Michaels is, is my favorite football guy, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he's great. Al Michaels, I agree. He's... Him and... Uh, oh, who's another good one? Um... I'm trying to think of national guys because, you know, Brenneman's meh, uh, Kenny Albert's meh. Uh, you know, there, there's plenty of other guys, but I think my favorite national guy is definitely Al Michaels. Ah, who's the who's the guy with the? Uh, he's got a really distinct voice. You know, he talks like this. You know who I'm talking about? Um, football. Uh, yeah, yeah, football. You talking about Madden? No, not Madden. It's, this guy's younger than Madden. If I had to guess, I'd say he's like in his 50s, maybe. Um, and he's a national guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would have to hear a clip of him because I, I can't say I know who you're talking about. This is this is like actually bothering me that I can't think of this guy's name because it's going to... You'll go, oh, yeah, that guy, if, if I figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I probably will because, you know, I watch NFL football every week. And, you know, the last year the Bears have been on national TV more often. So we get more national TV announcers, which is nice because it means the Bears are doing good again. But, uh, yeah, um, you'll have to find out. Oh, it's I just it's Chris Collinsworth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I, I like Chris Collinsworth, too. Okay. All right. I'm glad I. I, I'm glad I remembered that before. It I like the crazy. Collinsworth meme. Have you seen the meme? Mm, it's not. Of him sliding in the picture? No. No. It's... I actually don't know what you're talking about on that one. Look it up on I Twitter. Thought I, I thought I was pretty meme savvy, but apparently not. Yeah, look it up on Twitter. It's pretty funny. All right. Well, that's just about to uh, wrap things up here on Climbing the Ivy. We want to thank everybody for listening. We want to remind everyone that you can check out Cubby's Crib at cubbyscrib.com. You could also listen to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. So until next week, he's Adam. I'm Alex. Have a great night.